work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem. And as advertised, we have a special treat for you here today. It is not Emily in the captain's chair, but I, Jim, with my good friend, Matt Harmon. Matt, how are you? Doing well. Really sad Emily's not here. <laughs> yeah, it's a step down. So <laughs> we, we we do what we can. So Matt is the newly, what would you call it? The pastor-elect? The pastor-install? Uh, the yeah, incoming? Uh, incoming lead pastor. Yes. Yeah. We're at. Where 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 oh, we at, uh, Yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> we're just like a little, incoming pastor at large. Yeah, where it's a um, yeah, it's a nice mega church mm. um, in the main line called Liberty. Uh, highly encourage you to come to Liberty Main Line if you're in the area. Uh, we will be uh, finding a location, and when we know what that location is, right. we will let you know. Oh, Matt, you are, <laughs> you you already have the mojo down. Uh, when when I first came to uh, Collingswood to plant Liberty Collingswood, and I was invited to other Liberty churches in the area. Part of my sales pitch was, why don't you move to Collingswood? Stop coming here and come to our <laughs> church instead. So Matt is on the move, everybody. He's a free agent, and he's not lying. He's the new pastor incoming at Liberty Mainline. You'll be coming there in June. And I mentioned that Matt was my good friend, not a Johnny-come-lately to this relationship. It wasn't a dark and stormy night, but a stormy night in the fall of 1996, when I was teaching my first ever Bible study ever at as a second-year student, a sophomore at Dartmouth College, and the first one to walk through the door to attend my first Bible study was Matthew Paul Harmon all of those years ago. Matt, was it good for you? It was great. It was uh, the most comprehensive study of the first sentence of Ephesians ever. <laughs> That's right. We we started big and went slow. That's that's been our motto ever since. I think I remember, I don't actually think we use these Bible studies, but ostensibly they were called, we were given a pack of studies that was called the Freshman Six-Pack Bible Study, which in retrospect was a funny title because emphatically there were no six packs at all <laughs> not that, at all in that first bible study no no we were pretty close to frat row uh, that is true so uh, close and yet and yet so and far. yet so far right <laughs> so i am good friends with not only matt but also his wife rebecca uh, who also came to dartmouth same year that matt did a year behind emily and me and so yeah matt why don't you take us through the different stages of relationship that we have had to share together. What happened after that first Bible study? Uh, I mean, one thing that sticks out, because uh, Emily was leading a similar study that Rebecca was That's a part right. of as well. Um, and uh, I remember some highlights uh, was uh, <laughs> like when Rebecca and I first um, uh, went together to church mm-hmm. on the bus. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, I had the uh, courage to Go ahead and sit right next to Rebecca on the bus. You went there. And you, you were dead. you were <laughs> you were in the seat right behind me. And Rebecca was facing forward, but I was facing sideways to see her. So <laughs> I could see you like gesticulating to the rest of the bus, <laughs> drawing attention to the two of us sitting there. So that was that was a fun moment. Uh, grateful Rebecca was it facing worked. forward. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. So we had college together a year behind and then right after we graduated, Emily and me went from New Hampshire to Philly. I went to Westminster Seminary. Emily went to Penn for graduate school. And Matt, what did you and Rebecca do soon after? We uh, decided to just copy the anger plan <laughs> um, and copy and paste. Rebecca so ended up, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we ended up at the same church uh, down in uh, West Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, 42nd Baltimore. And, um, we, um, Rebecca was at University of Pennsylvania. She's doing a master's mm-hmm. in French literature yeah. uh, and then ended up teaching there as a lecturer. Um, and I was commuting out to uh, Westminster mm-hmm. and uh, 
and even uh, you handed off your bookstore job to me, and so I got to be part of the bookstore fraternity, WTS right. Books. Uh, afterwards, it di it didn't last as a seminary fraternity very very long after that. But <laughs> there was this like thing where you needed to break even financially a, so we had to shift shift strategy yeah, I, I was a lost leader employee at the westminster bookstore matt, <laughs> matt matt made it a lot better which is probably metaphorical matt came a year later but did things better in in many different ways uh and liberty mainline is going to be awesome matt we'll get in a moment to your where have you been between seminary and right now but the purpose of this podcast for the Post Sunday Blues, if you go back, I think it was episode two where Emily interviewed me about secret origin stories of a preacher. It is going to be a semi-regular installment. And so we're happy to turn the mics in the other direction. I'll be the interviewer. And Matt, we'll hear about you specifically through the lens of preaching. So going to be great. Uh, we are still going to use a couple musical references here uh, for the post-Sunday blues. So we're still going to be in Sun Studios taking a tour around. Matt, are you more of an Elvis person or a Chuck Berry person? Uh, I'll go with Chuck Berry. Okay. Um, and maybe that's aspirational as much as anything. It's uh... <laughs> Are you saying Elvis is it? <laughs> we had a great Elvis impersonator come to our town, and he locked himself in a bathroom before he was supposed to perform. So that was a highlight of our uh, time in Western Pennsylvania. So, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism for something else. No, he oh. literally locked himself in the room. So the local police had to come let him out. So maybe <laughs> that might be what's uh, taking the shine off of Elvis. <laughs> yeah, and that's when Matt said, I, I need to get better assistant pastors around here than, than this guy. I'm just kidding, Matt. Matt, you speak very highly of uh, your past and present assistants and associates. So, woke up this morning, a classic blues line. I'd have to think if there are any Chuck Berry songs that involve that line. We will go back. Helen Wolves, let, let us know if there's a Chuck Berry song that includes those things. Uh, yeah, Matt, how did you come to, to be a preacher? Everybody's journey is a little bit different, at least when it comes to that, but... Why, why pastoring, specifically preaching? Tell us some of your origin story. Yeah, I feel like there's two main pieces to that, which is, you know, how you become a preacher. There's both how you be, start to want to be a preacher and you're mm -hmm. interested, in it, and then, um, you know, how do you actually grow into the role? So, right. I mean, the two things that stand out, one is pretty similar in the sense of sitting under the ministry of uh, Norm Coop at mm -hmm. uh, First Congregational Church in Woodstock, Vermont. So yep. again, taking that bus ride over and listening to Norm's preaching. And I grew up in uh, Maine, New England. Um, Norm's uh, preaching, was, it, it stood out. I'd not heard anything like that before. Yeah, um, that was the same with me. So uh, could, could you say what, like, why did it stand out? What was, not that you know, previous sermons that we had heard at previous locations are dog breath. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why did it stand out? Yeah. The, you know, one piece is a lot of the preaching that I heard had been sort of my, or not my, but the various preachers observations about life or yeah. things of that sort. So, um, you know, the different pieces that Norm really brought to the table was at first it was really grounded in actually teaching the Bible. Um, yeah. and it was, uh, so it wasn't just some person's random observations about life, which doesn't carry a lot of weight, but yeah. he can't, he treated the Bible with respect, um, and then taught it, um, really helpfully. Um, also just the, you know, he, he believed what he was preaching and yeah. that really came through quite clearly. Um, right. You know, I, I remember, um, you know, I, I think I probably had some anti-supernaturalistic, like, background just educationally. And uh, yeah. I remember him, I forget what the scripture reference is, but uh, with entertaining angels underwear, I think maybe that's the end of Hebrews. Um, yeah. And Norm made a reference to that in a sermon. I was like, he he actually thinks that, um, you know, there's Wait a second. angels that you could uh, bump into in everyday life. Yeah. Uh, so. That, that was quite kind of attention-grabbing. Mm -hmm. um, and he's just really gifted. There was sort of a conversation, even though he's, a, a, you know, uh, he's preaching, there, there's a dialogical component. Yeah, um, high conversational dialogical style. Yeah, he did a great job in just anticipating the questions that you would have mm -hmm. um, and engaging with them. So very gifted in that. 
Yeah, for sure. And I was struck by a lot of the same things. Not not to story swap my own preacher origin story. <laughs> Matt, thanks for being here. I'll talk for the next half hour. It was great. Just go relax, buddy. The, um, yeah, like kind of growing up in a country club churchy environment. Uh, I grew up in New Orleans, so Matt and I came from opposite parts of the country. And I, I do like me a good country club. I feel very comfortable there. But country club church was just like, you know, easy breezy sermon. So finding that the Bible was teachable uh, at First Congregational Church Woodstock, teachable in the sense that it could be taught from, learned from, believed and made relevant to one's life and for the world was pretty mind-blowing. And mm. I it was I didn't know it was possible for a person, let alone a college student at a secular university, to be sitting around on Saturday and think, I can't wait to go to church on Sunday and mm. hear a yeah. sermon. Yeah. That's where we were. Yeah, yeah. He was very gifted. So that was the that was what first sort of um, that model because, mm-hmm. like I said, the models I saw before. Actually, the uh, story I tell is that my yeah. grandmother, um, when I was younger, I randomly found C.S. Lewis's theological essays in a bookstore back when you had local bookstores in right. Maine. Um, and this is on the mainline. Yeah, and uh, so. She's, she was convinced that I should be a, a minister, and I remember responding in horror at that time, yeah. uh, at that young age. But uh, like like is often the case, my grandmother was totally right, spot on. Granny, so, Granny got uh, it. Yeah, but the other piece that I think fits in there, too, is how you become a preacher. You can't become a preacher. You don't just wake up, decide to be a preacher. Um, and maybe there are some people who are just really gifted orators. I'm, mm. sure, you know, I'm sure there are. Um, <laughs> there, there are other people that just start preaching. I hate them. Not <laughs> either the gifted orators or, or the ones that are not. But it's like, hey, you should put in more process yeah. there. It goes both ways. Oh uh, yeah, we we hate one and are sympathetic to the other. Yeah. The so the other piece is just lots of opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of churches that gave uh, me opportunity. Some of those shared with um, you know Church of the Redeemer mm-hmm. uh, in West Philadelphia, um, and you know later also as. Um, there was one summer where I did pulpit supply for a church in Ringo's, New Jersey, um, morning right. and evening services. I was, I was working full time and, you know, driving in for four days a week and then Friday, Saturdays, prepping morning and evening ser- uh, sermons for this little church. Friday on my mind. Um, yeah. So, you know, the time that they made available, uh, and then my church in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, um, actually had a number of students. They were largely coming from uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, but yep. we ended up doing an evening service, uh, which gave all of the guys there mm-hmm. lots of preaching opportunities. So right. you don't, you know, you, you don't become a preacher overnight. And there were no. lots of people who graciously listened to sermons, uh, top of the list being, of course, my wife. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. Emily and Rebecca, respectively, are veterans of of our preaching. That the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Ugly. What What was some of the uh, best feedback that Rebecca has given you gave you from some of those early sermons? Uh, she she was really good. At just like you know, if there was a sermon that wasn't great, she'd just say, "No, it's not your best. It's yeah. fine. Next yeah. next one will be good." She's uh-huh. really good at honest feedback and. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would also, uh, I'd often kind of stress with the the sermon prep, and so she'd just say true things from the Bible. So yep. that was our that's our little mantra on the tough weeks. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And we we benefited from that real feedback, and, and we are grateful for all of those congregants at those churches in earlier days that uh, sat through. I, I are you an always, or I don't know if you're an always sunny in Philadelphia watcher, but 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 there's a particular episode when the gang is performing a musical and it looks really awesome. It's all put together, but then the the big reveal. It's a comedy show. The big reveal at the end of the episode is like they they show what actually was performed <laughs> in the eyes of the audience, and it's right. sloppy and drunken and misanthropic. So I'm sure that for some of my early sermons, in my mind, they were like rock star awesome but in actuality well i got to listen poor. to some of those sermons I, I enjoyed them i do i i've listened to your more recent sermons i do i don't know what the influence was but i i think you yell less which is i, I, I think i was a I think yeller it, it was in an the improvement early days. The, and yelling's not always bad in a sermon but um you yeah. i think you had a tendency to kind of like stay at that range and so <laughs> it's like I, I need to tune out this is a lot of yelling uh, so i catch the first little bits but right. you, you've done a great job uh, moderating that so i was so passionate 
on the flip side, I remember, <laughs> uh, you know, to to throw both of us under the bus on this yep. one. I don't know if you remember. So Bob Dejas, remember yeah, Bob? Right. Uh, after one of my early sermons uh-huh. at CUR, um, yeah. Bob told a story about going to the Soviet Union, handing out Bibles, and then going to like the Red Square and doing street preaching in the Red Square to see if he was supposed to be a preacher. And he said, which is what everybody should. Yeah, do. he said it was terrible, and so then I knew I wasn't supposed to be a preacher. And it was one of those stories where it was, you know, it felt like he was sub- subtweeting me. <laughs> is that a is that a hint? Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> the, the underhanded preaching compliment is, is its own subgenre. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that church that Matt and I were a part of in West Philly had had had, had some real characters. Speaking of the shouting, uh, and I don't mean this in a genuine content way from me but but that was the church where i was told that i preached like hitler <laughs> that, was that was that wasn't for me it's <laughs> yeah, probably the worst the worst thing that's ever been told to me from from a sermon so yeah matt you you sketched it out so west philly central new jersey lawrenceville uh preaching reps there fill in that story a little bit what were your positions and then from central jersey where where then? Yeah, sure. So, and the background there was I finished up seminary. I was actually working at Westminster Seminary, launching WTSbooks.com, which is still a great website, yep. good bookstore. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and Rebecca continued her studies over at Princeton University. So uh, we ended up at uh, Hope Presbyterian Church, which is in Lawrenceville, mm-hmm. just, just south of uh, Princeton. Right. Uh, worked with David Rao, great, mm-hmm. uh, great guy who's um, still past, lead pastor there. Um, and he was very supportive of me and other uh, young guys coming up through. And so uh, brought me on as assistant pastor there. And mm-hmm. it was basically a relaunch of that church. Right. Um, so I think the first time we showed up, there were it was during the summer. And so there were probably like 13 to 15 people. Um, yeah, I did and, pulpit yeah. supply there oh, okay. a little bit before before you and David Rao came on this scene. Okay. That, that church was Hoyton. It was yeah. a Hoyton church. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really encouraging to be part of the, the revitalization of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then um, Rebecca finished up her PhD. Um, mm-hmm. And so then we ended up, she got a job at Grove City College, um, which is where we are now, Grove City, Pennsylvania. It's about an hour north of Pennsylvania. Uh, sorry, Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, and I connected with a church planner over there, Ian Duguid, who was a professor at the college in Old Testament. And so we connected even before, I think there was an event at Westminster. We bumped into each other and I knew he was there and he knew we were coming, Mm -hmm. um, small town, Pennsylvania dynamics. Um, people kept greeting us, um, out of the blue as, oh, you're the new, uh, French professor to my wife. Uh, um, But we ended up there, connected with Ian, and so came on staff. He was a full-time professor, so he needed uh, somebody to co-pastor with yep. him. So we um, worked together, uh, got the church uh, organized, uh, settled, and then when God called him to Philadelphia, yep. uh, to Westminster, uh, took over the lead pastor role there, um, and have been. So we end up be, we've been there for ten years mm-hmm. uh, now, uh, finishing this summer. So nice, full decade, uh, and then looking forward to heading back to this this side of the state. That's right. Tell me a little bit about what are some highlights, and if being in Grove City was was your to this point longest stint mm. in any one place. What are some what were some highs and lows from preaching, like? particular sermons or sermon series that you felt really good about and what God was at work and how, or a couple of lowlights were like, wow, that just didn't work well at all. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, we, I really enjoyed um, uh, preaching through, I feel like Old Testament history was kind of my strong suit. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ian, Ian has a strong background there, and we had some fun uh, preaching through together. Mm-hmm. So some of that um, produced the Gospel According to Old Testament yeah. book on Joseph. We have a published author here, folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, I appreciated Ian including me in that project. Um, so um, it was funny because it's a Christian college, and we're preaching through chunks of the Old Testament, mm-hmm. and, um, and then— seeing how the Old Testament points towards Jesus. And it was it was always funny to just see people's, the lights go on in people's eyes. Yeah. Because they had either never heard hardly anything from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or um, just seeing that actually Jesus is reflected there, anticipated there. Yeah. Um, so that was always, always fun. The other thing is a lot of times people just didn't know what to do. And this actually applies across a lot of the Bible. Just yeah. don't know what to do with um, this book that's so old. Right. And it's also a fun stage. We had a lot of college students, have mm-hmm. a lot of college students. Um, and it's just fun because I know that I'm building on probably for a lot of them coming from um, Christian families, building on ministry that they've received. But yeah. there is that just like for us in college, there's like the lights go on and um, the Holy Spirit makes connections. And so yeah. it's fun for people to sort of grasp right. what the gospel really is, who Jesus really is, and start appropriating that in that kind of influential yeah. uh, stage of life. Right. And, and the flip side of that is that there are so many moments in the Old Testament where you say, like, I can't believe this is actually in the Bible. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a glorious mess that I think makes the messiness of our lives a lot more relatable to God. Or We, we see how God can relate to the messiness in our lives yeah. on the basis of the messiness of yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah, if there's any, like, low lights from the preaching there, um, you know, I tend to try to do hard things. Um, Uh And so then you realize why other people don't do that that often. Right. Um, So it was, you know, it's funny. I preached through the book of Revelation. I actually really enjoyed that series and the congregation gave really good feedback. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I did something with chapter 20 of Revelation with the millennium. I did something I don't normally do. Well, so I did two two sermons, yeah. and the first one was preaching the text. How yeah. how is the gospel reflected in this text? Yeah. So trying not to get bogged down and starting with the big picture. Yeah. And then the second week, I did more of a lecture style to give some of the history, background, and best ways of interpreting. Yeah, and, and, and of this course, is like the rapture stuff and yeah, different yeah. millennial views. So that's why course, people tune into the post Sunday blues to yeah, find yeah. out about the millennium. Would you like Let's all eighteen options? <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and so that's the. But then that second week is the the week that the family comes who's visiting, and then say, "Do you preach like that normally?" <laughs> and, awesome. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. There at least come one other time, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, the other uh, one that was exciting was uh, I thought it would be a good idea to preach through Leviticus, um, and that was that was challenging. So yeah. Um, it ended up the schedule worked out well so that um, that was actually right before I took a sabbatical. And mm-hmm. so I said, oh, you know, uh, look, the calendar is um, passing quickly. Let's just skip to the end and <laughs> talk about Jubilee years and right. go on sabbatical. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess in my Bible reading plan, I'm in Leviticus right now in a couple other places. I think this morning was Leviticus chapter four about offering different animal sacrifices. And I was thinking, my next sermon series is going to be called Leviticus for Vegetarians. That's the best way to approach such a, such a book. But yeah, and, and Matt, I really appreciate how you're somebody that uh, stays in the Old Testament a lot. And uh, yeah, it, the, the degree of difficulty in preaching Old Testament narrative is high, but you mm. do a great job of, of making it digestible, interesting, compelling, palatable. Pointing to Jesus, it's easier said than done, folks. So yeah, preaching journey so far. I feel good. James Brown, classic soul singer, the hardest working man in show business. Matt, you're the hard, hardest working man in preacher business. Uh, I, I don't know if that's... <laughs> Matt, you work hard. I, I, I don't want to like over compliment in weird and creepy ways. But anyway, <laughs> point being you're a hard worker, uh, including with sermons. Do you enjoy it? And why? why, if so, how? Do you enjoy the art of preaching? Yeah, yeah. do you d- enjoy writing sermons? It depends on the week. Yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah, some weeks are uh, some weeks are really fun. Some weeks are challenging, yeah. and um, it's actually kind of surprising. Obviously, when stuff is going on in life, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, pulling things together for Sundays hard. Yeah, I think the easiest part. I just like studying the Bible, so that part really comes yeah. relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes sifting down all of the things that are just interesting to me right. um, and pulling that together for how does this passage encourage, guide, lead, equip, um, 
somebody who is not spending you know right. a day in commentaries on it yeah. um and you know i was talking about this with rebecca the the so what question is a, a legit question yeah we right. we yeah. are supposed to come to the bible and hear what god would have for us out of it so yeah yeah the uh the funny thing is i think the things that one of the things that makes um, some Sundays, um, some sermons hardest is actually some of the most beautiful passages of the Bible where mm. it it's so striking. It's so um, artistically done, so um, poetic yeah, um, or, or just um, the theology is so deep and profound and the picture of God or yeah. Jesus is so captivating um, that. I can seize up because I'm just worried about, I just don't want to get in the way right, uh, sometimes. Yeah. We're, and, we're finger painting on the Mona Lisa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, doing your, your paint by numbers version. Yeah. So I think, uh, ironically, sometimes those those most beautiful passages, just mm-hmm. trying to do them justice and not get in the way is, is some of the hardest weeks. Yeah, I felt that for Easter Sunday one. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, ostensibly, preachers should bring their A game on 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 that day, but what what more can be said than has already been right right on a on a Sunday like that yeah and then Old Testament poetry for example there is part of me that just wonders preaching a half an hour of prose about mm. some of the most beautiful poetry in the history of the world is is incongruent at best right what, what am I doing why am I doing this yeah how do you how do you translate this across genres right yeah and Going back, Matt, to what you said, too, about wanting to being really interested to study the scriptures and mm. just dive in on a weekly basis. And that's one of the things that I love, too. Mm. I think I think if I didn't have that as part of my ministry rhythm, I'd go crazy because I enjoy oh, that right. like study aspect and get it, getting lost, lost in the books um, and in prayer in relation to the books for a little bit. But I don't only want to preach things that are interesting to me. they one time years ago, there was somebody that said, Jim, I don't really like your preaching. You don't preach the way that I would want you to preach. And I actually told her, I don't preach the way I want to preach either. Right, right, <laughs> so right. If, if I preach the way I wanted to, don't make me. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but we're constantly trying to, to, to balance what interests us which, with what is helpful, what builds up for the congregation. But then on the other hand, if I don't, do you ever get that feeling in the, midweek and sermon prep where where you just say like i'm bored and if if i'm bored writing this sermon people are going to be bored hearing this sermon i've got to find something that that grabs my attention and my interest a little bit more here yeah i find that that comes up more sometimes when i do longer sermon series um and chunks of scripture um like we preach through acts and acts is uh you know amazing Mm -hmm. um but you get into some of those middle chapters and um, that's something where in the future, I think I'll probably do shorter series to kind of break up long, longer yeah. books because, you know, what can you say on the fourth time that Paul gives his personal testimony that you didn't say on the first three times that I he gives his personal testimony? It was, a, it was a challenge by then, <laughs> trying to find the micro differences between each one. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So, I th- you know, I think that's the that's what's trickier. Um, you know, the other piece, too, is that sometimes I come around later in the week and I just mm-hmm. I look at what I have and um, and I just realize I need to I need to bring this down to earth. This right. is this is too abstract or uh, intellectual or. Yeah. You know, yeah. It just doesn't have feet. The uh, the two things that I think. um that I'm always checking myself on is make sure have I have I gotten around to highlighting how the passage points us to the person of Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and whether uh, whether that's a and that's usually a combination of who he is mm-hmm. and what he's done for us, yeah, um, and then also um, how how do I enjoy the benefits of uh, you know his um, his righteous life mm-hmm. his sacrificial death um, and um, you know, how has, how has the passage made him beautiful and whether it's anticipating him or looking back on what he's done. Right. Um, the other piece is just, you know, um, connecting to everyday life, right? It's very easy to, um, do a lot of sermon prep and then not connect it to what does this mean for, Mm -hmm. um, the person changing diapers multiple times a day right now or filling out the same form time, time after time. Right. Um, and so, yeah, making those, connections to everyday life yeah what are some of your 
bad habits preaching wise? Do you have any off the top of your head? Um, I have embraced my bad habits. So I like like too many cultural references. Um, And uh, I figure if I make enough of them, people will get some of them. And so if everybody gets one or two, uh, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a... the old Puritan, was it Stephen Charnock, the, the one that preached over the head of his congregants on purpose so that they would know that their preacher is smart? And Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was Charnock. I don't because I'm getting the story secondhand as well. Uh-huh. But I think uh, I feel like the story came up in a Carl Truman class. Right. And I think he ascribed it to Richard Baxter. So okay. we, I don't know which of those. It could be either one. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, say something that nobody understands. Otherwise, any people will think anybody can do your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, 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 so that was Baxter. And then Charnock's The Doctrine of God was similar where he was like building a, theo- a Protestant theology of God. Okay. And so he felt like his, uh, his congregation needed reassurance that there are at least some Protestants that know what they're doing when it comes to this. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> and, and yeah, made it obtuse on purpose. So that's my goal. Obtuse. If, if ever I'm preaching and you think, what is Jim talking about? This is bad and doesn't make any sense. I at least want my Helen loves to know that it's on purpose. There you so, go. There, there yeah. you go. Yeah. What, um, What are some things that you feel like you do well in preaching, Matt? What are some of your wheelhouses? Let's put it mm. that way. We're not yeah. asking, I'm not asking you to brag about yourself, but like, what, what do you like tackling saying like, yeah, I feel like God has equipped me to do this in preaching? Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I mean, one thing, um, uh, preachers often talk about trying to make, uh, Christ beautiful and try to make yep. God beautiful. And so that's one thing that I try to do. Uh, pretty consistently, intentionally, mm-hmm. yeah. um, is just showing forth the the beauty of the character of um, Father, Son, and Spirit. Right. Um, and um, our utter dependence on him mm-hmm. for um, for uh, everything. Yep. Um, the other thing I like to think that I do well mm-hmm. is to um, help people understand or, or benefit from some of the hardest passages. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we're preaching through Isaiah and, right. you know, judgment comes up yeah. um, and there's some pretty gruesome pictures of, uh, of mm-hmm. judgment there. Um, and, uh, I think a lot of us have like a knee jerk reaction to that. Yeah. Um, but turning that knee jerk reaction around and say, like, we turn around, we look at the headlines and mm-hmm. we, you know, whoever you are, depending on what headline you're reading, you long for uh, judgment and justice. And so trying to help people make those connections between um, something that in the Bible might seem strange. um, And yet it's actually quite like it resonates with you if you, if you tune into the right frequency. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, Matt. And in conversations that I have over the years, including recently with people that are skeptical of Christianity or not sure where they are Mm. with the Bible or with the, with Jesus, sometimes I'll hear, well, like the Bible's just such a hard book to, to stomach. And is it, is it Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon? There we sat and wept. But Mm. then the end of Psalm 137 is about taking Babylonian babies and casting them on the rocks. So uh, that, that's the, uh, the agony and the ecstasy right there of like high biblical poetry with some really gruesome imagery Mm. at the end. I think it was N.T. Wright in his book on the Psalms said, it's great to preach and teach from the Psalms. Preach from not only the easy ones, but the hard ones, too. Yeah, sure. And to me, that's kind of a backdoor proof of the truth of Christianity, where we take not only the things that are easily palatable to us in this cultural moment, but mm. but, but we seek to make sense of the hard things, too. And that's a confirmation to me that I'm not just living out in religious terms all of my own biases about the world as I currently see it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I'm, you've probably said this before as well, um, but the Bible is not um, a record of a past culture mm-hmm. um, that we're then trying to shoehorn into modern life, yeah. but it's actually the record of God critiquing cultures mm-hmm. in the past. And so as we come to scripture, we're actually going to hear it. Um, we can listen into a direct critique of ancient cultures and yep. then hear and see their critiques of our own culture. Right. Um, and I think once you have that lens, a lot of 
pieces that are hard mm-hmm. um, fall into to place. Um, right. There's a lot that's descriptive. Um, yeah. Describing what people are like, mm-hmm. and if you read that through history, you realize, yeah, it feels like life is pretty terrible right now, and mm-hmm. I see a lot of terrible stuff around me, um, and sometimes close up in relationships. Um, and then I, it can be confirming, I think, to go to the scriptures and say, oh, there's a lot of terrible stuff yeah. uh, up front in people's relationships in these stories. Yep. Um, but the the point of the story is not that it's good; mm-hmm. it's descriptive, and then right. you see. God as Savior um, and Judge engaging with that and um, confronting um, and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Two things about that. One surface level, one one deeper. One time at the church that I previously pastored in in Texas, we came up on Easter Sunday, and that was a—we don't do this at Liberty Colonies, but at that church setting, we had— Two lessons, scripture lessons. Sure. And, and if yeah. the main sermon was from the Old Testament, there would be a New Testament lesson of before that. And mm-hmm. if it's flipped, sermon from the New Testament, Old, Old Testament lesson. We were going through for the Old Testament lesson, the book of Judges. And coming Fun. up coming up on Easter Sunday was the story about the butchering of the concubine. Oh my goodness, and, yeah. And being sent. Yikes. And I, Yikes. I, I am I am speaking descriptively here, not prescriptively, right, folks, right. but um the, the the body parts being sent to the 12 mm-hmm. tribes of Israel as a warning. And I had a couple of buddies at church that said, like, Jim, you cannot do this on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and and I did it anyway, just for fun. And, <laughs> and it felt like, yeah, like this is a church that values not only the the softballs of scripture, but but some of the hard things too. But Matt, going connecting back earlier to what you said about how we see in the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures before Jesus, seeking to connect those things forward with the person and work of Christ. That goes hand in hand with a lot of these stories being inspired yet descriptive. Mm-hmm. And so we we see how Jesus completes the story of all of this messiness and find both God's ultimate judgment coming upon Christ and then uh, Jesus' healing and forgiving plan for the world that addresses some of those stories in their original context mm. in, in surprising ways. If you don't preach the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, then you're going to be stuck with a lot of hard stuff and I think with less know-how about what to do with it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also that backstory um, gives you a depth for understanding who Jesus is and what he's done. Right. Um, it's, the, it's understood... Um, just like you enjoy the MCU more if you read some of the the back issues. I know uh, that. Right, right. But that is true. So Matt, you enjoy preaching, it sounds like. That that that's a really good thing. Most of the time. I hear you. <laughs> what what are some parts of preaching that most align with who you are, that most fit you, and then what are some of the what are some of the more difficult parts for you? Uh, yeah, it's it's funny that I'm a preacher uh, because I I am a pretty significant introvert, um, and I think yeah. I think that over time, um, you know, experience of of ministry um, and pastoral care has um, helped me to be more balanced in that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I remember just the other day I was having a conversation with my daughter because she hates being in front of people, okay. um, and I said, "Well, that makes sense. You're an introvert, just like I am. I don't like being in front of people." And she said, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Know, she's she's drawing the connection between you have to do that all the time. Right. So, um, you know, uh, it's a, a career in which I stand in front of people and talk to them right. um, while yeah. they look at me. It's not uh, not what I would have chosen mm-hmm. if I was strictly doing personality testing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I too, am a, am a natural introvert and get the, what, what are you talking about? And it's like, well, I'm just crying on the inside. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it, 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 it's all good. The, the, the extroverted preachers go home on Sunday afternoon after a busy Sunday in physically gathered spaces, which we hope we'll get back to soon and collapse because they're on the, on the low of like, I'm not with people anymore, but we collapse because we've been with people. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, there are times where I finish the day. I'm just, Oh, it feels so good. Now I get some quiet time by myself. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, we need both. Had, what do you do when there's like crazy weeks in life and ministry, but you have to get a sermon done that that Sunday? How often does that happen to you and how do you deal with it? Uh, yeah, fortunately, um, 
that has I have not gotten caught too many times with that. I did have uh, one bad experience where yeah. uh, it was my my associate pastor was adopting, and okay. so with adoption you, you can get a call that, that right. says there's a baby yeah, there's a now. Everything so um, so there was uh, there was one week where that happened, and um, I also. Because my associate pastor was scheduled to preach, Rebecca and I had scheduled time away. So I felt like right. I needed to honor both my associate pastor and I needed to honor my wife. Zero sum So uh, I had preached a, a fairly challenging uh, sermon the week before, and I thought, oh, well, there's lots more to say about that topic. Mm -hmm. I'll just kind of go back to uh, the the sermon scraps from last week and hit some of those extra points. Right. And uh, it was a really bad call. Uh, <laughs> so the, the the fortunate thing is I had a lot of capital with the congregation. And right. so, um, you know, a, a lot of people judged it very charitably. Yeah. So, but I did take the, the, uh, the takeaway lesson from that was, you know, when that week happens, and if you you seriously don't have time to pull something together, yep. uh, that's that's a week you go back into the archives and you right. you, pre you preach something uh, yeah. that's a little bit more. You, you go for a single instead of the uh, the triple. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So compare that. In my years of ministry, I am surprised, and you know, I'm not a perfect person. Matt's not a perfect person. We have plenty of failings and sins that that we want to be appropriately transparent about with people. So we're not setting ourselves up as perfect, but I'm surprised at the amount of preacher falls that occur related to sermon plagiarism mm. specifically. Sure. I, I just wouldn't have thought, I think it's in the top three in my personal experience of why, why pastors, you know, fall from grace in, in ministry, hmm. which, which is not something that I personally struggle with, but yeah, why? But then on the other hand, I, I can see it and feel it. Matt, what's your take on, why so many preachers plagiarize? Um, yeah, not I, in the judgmental way against those those people, but yeah, sure. I mean, you just you have the pressure, and um, I think a, another part of it is just comparison because yeah. I know I don't I don't feel it with the temptation to plagiarize, but um, sometimes listening to great preachers on their yeah. podcasts is actually one of the more discouraging things for yeah. for preaching because right. I think. Well, how am I supposed to preach this pastor when Mark Dever, or Tim Keller, or whoever, yeah. you know, they, they nailed it. Uh, right. What do I have to add to this? Yeah. Um, so uh, so I tend to find that um, uh, I, I, I interact with that more just from like the sense of calling and then needing mm -hmm. to come back to the reality of churches need pastors right. everywhere. Yep. Um, and so actually hearing bad sermons is one of the most uh, affirming <laughs> things for my pastoral calling. Uh, yeah, so we, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'll out anybody for what I think a bad sermon is. But um, Thank you so much for that terrible sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I feel so motivated. Um, but uh, yeah, I certainly understand from that perspective of, you know, somebody who's put the time and the effort into mm -hmm. um, something, especially if you're listening to something that's available online or yeah. um, something that's been published, like mm -hmm. that's gone through multiple iterations of um, probably the person may have uh, preached it more than once. Um, yeah. You have editors going over it. Right. And so, yeah, that's, of course, that's going to uh, sound better um, or it's going to sound more polished. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can definitely see why that would be a temptation. Um, you know, I'll, and sometimes there are just um, think you know, whether it's a, a, a sermon quote or um, a handling of a passage, um, I just try to be upfront. I tend not to do that too frequently, but mm -hmm. if somebody just did a great job with the passage and I yeah. need to use their outline or mm -hmm. a, a larger chunk, um, I just you know, acknowledge it um, yeah. and, and express appreciation. So. Yeah, I think, that, I think that works better in the long run. And these issues are not getting easier. So one of the things that you'll hear about during pandemic is that because churches by and large have not been physically regathered or are regathered at a much smaller level, there are plenty of followers of Jesus that have jumped ship from their local congregation mm. because technology means that, that you can listen to the best and brightest. Sure preachers and if you're going to be on your couch anyway why not get a quote-unquote better sermon but i think something's lost in not experiencing the ministry of the word in a local context where 
Tim Keller might be an awesome preacher, but he doesn't know Sally and Johnny like at this particular church. Right, and there's right. something incarnationally beautiful that I try to keep in mind when 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 there's that preacher envy. I, I hate conferences for the same reason where Right. right. You're never gonna have mediocre no. preachers at a conference. Right. So so it's just an all star team of great speakers. So you spend Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning hearing these awesome speakers using hearing the best speakers right, yeah. use their best material <laughs> yeah. when all of the lights are on and talk about their best churches. And so after 72 hours of that, I'm wondering like, am I, am I supposed to be encouraged by, yeah, by yeah. all of this? Yeah. There are some good, um, there are some networks um, that are focusing on like encouraging smaller churches. They're getting and, better. Yeah. and I think that that's a really, that's something where, um, you know, most of us aren't going to be in, um, a, a huge global level city. Right. Um, and, uh, and even if you are, you know, we're, we're in and around Philadelphia, but yeah. um, we're ministering in a, a particular area or mm-hmm. a neighborhood. Um, yeah. And the, um, you know, the word calls us to God and it also mm-hmm. calls us, the word unites us by uniting us to Christ. It also unites us to fellow believers. Yep. And then, um, you know, Jesus, left the church to be the body that would continue making him known through history. Yeah. Um, And there's benefit for a local congregation to sit under God's word, to, to be feeding on the same portion of God's word. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I think somebody is probably was one of these big conference speakers, but uh, there's benefit to um, knowing uh, the pastor knows that, uh, you know, John heard that Mm -hmm. um, sermon and then John knows that Greg heard that sermon as well. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, you have the body together yeah. um, who are working through uh, God's word. And hopefully, if the, the pastor is doing, um, doing thoughtful ministry, mm-hmm. has, um, has the congregation in a particular passage or in a, a chunk of scripture because of its particular relevance um, right. for the life of that community, um, yeah. whether it's that church community or the larger community. Yep, absolutely. Good words. So thinking, Matt, about challenges ahead, I can't quit you, baby. Otis Rush, you never, and I'm going to bring up something else in this direction in a minute, but but you never went to a blues festival with me in the early 2000s, right? No, you introduced me to Marah in, right. in downtown Philly. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was already a, a moderate Bruce fan. Yeah. Uh, you definitely got me on the Bruce right. uh, bandwagon. Uh, no, no blues festivals. No blues. So I, so I saw Otis Fresh in Delaware. There, there's a, and I hope it happens this year. We'll see if it does. A blues festival in Delaware. And Otis Fresh was a 1950s blues man from the South, came to Chicago in the Great Migration. And my my standard joke about blues festivals is that when I went there in the early 2000s, I was the youngest person at any blues <laughs> festival I went to. But the reality is, to this day, when I go to blues festivals, I'm still the youngest person there, oh, which doesn't yeah, well. yeah, so, yeah. So he has a great song, I Can't Quit You Baby, But I've Got to Put You Down for a While. If if you would ever burn out on preaching, why do you think that would be? Or what what if you'd ever throw in the towel on it? What do you think? What do you think the the rationale behind that or the the process? Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. You know, the biggest thing, um, and I was really grateful. I know this is still a live issue for a lot of people, but when we were coming into ministry, mm-hmm. um, we'd already seen a lot of fallout of like families and marriages fall apart. Yeah. Um, basically, people driven by ministry. Um, so. Uh, in God's grace, Rebecca is an incredible partner and mm-hmm. has done a good job helping me uh, be careful of my um, uh, sort of duty drivenness. Mm-hmm. Um, and we uh, working together, we've done a good job kind of guarding our marriage and making sure that that's that I minister out of the strength of mm-hmm. our marriage. So I think that you know, I think it would be if there was something, related to if ministry was unhealthy for my marriage or mm-hmm. my relationship with like my kids. Yeah. Um, I think that would be the thing that would, uh, like I would pull back. Um, yeah. so, you know, 
everything else about it I love. You know, I do, I can appreciate you can have burnout. Um, and there certainly have had seasons that have been hard. You know, the other, the other thing that I think um, can be really hard is when uh, you have tension in leadership. And a lot of times those tensions are in the background. Yeah. Um, and so they're not necessarily something that people know about publicly. Yeah. And that can be incredibly discouraging, right. um, especially with longer term relationships. Um, so I think that would, that's kind of, that would probably be the biggest thing that would uh, be discouraging would be sort of those background tensions. Um, but the, the definite would be if there was something going on that was undermining family relationships, um, yeah. then I, I would step back. My goal is to, um, get to the finish line Losing together with my family. family. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I feel that. They also feel that the difficulty of specific seasons of ministry or specific Sundays when you're looking out on the congregation and you're like, oh, he's really mad at me right now, mm, or yeah. she's really mad at me, yeah. or he's really mad at her, and there's a huge fight going on between people over here and people over there. And I know that I'm not intending to directly criticize this person, but this person's going to hear it as criticism based <laughs> right, on the church right. fight that's going on right now. Those, those minefield Sunday mornings are the best. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, you know, and there's, there's a flip side too, to that though, which is the encouragement of, um, knowing, knowing what's going on in people's lives. And sometimes, you know, um, it's a sacred trust. Yeah. That it's really encouraging to know that people, and we've even had, I've, I've preached to a couple for an extended series where they were separated, but both still at our congregation. Hmm. Um, and yeah, it's hard because you're trying to like navigate, you know, it's like a family Thanksgiving where you're trying to make sure right. nobody ends up in the same yeah. side of the room at the same time. But, yeah. you know, um, so it can be stressful to navigate those, but yeah, the, you know, when you know that there's minefields and you're trying all that you can right. to avoid detonating, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and yet you, you know, you, you get the email afterwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes preaching, there's the, the old Mike Schmidt quote, about playing sports in Philadelphia where you experience the ecstasy of victory and the agony of reading about it the next day yeah. <laughs> because the Philly press was so savage. Sometimes it's like that with preaching where like you preach a sermon, you think, I thought that went okay, but then you open up your inbox the next day and uh, you, yeah, yeah. you know, there's always another sermon to, to, to preach. One other question, Matt, about challenges. Is there anything else that you perceive either internally to you or externally as far as cultural context or moment mm. where it's like, wow, preaching has an uphill battle because of these things. Yeah. The, I think the biggest thing that I'm perceiving um, and trying to think how to work through is that I think, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I felt like a lot of the voices I was listening to, a lot of the preachers I was listening to when mm. I was coming up through would try to avoid kind of culture war topics yeah. in order to stay focused on Christ and the gospel. Yeah. Um, and I felt like there that was in a season where there was sort of a specific limited number of yeah. culture war topics. Right. Um, and I I feel like in the in the current context, increasingly, everything is politicized and right. everything is partisan. And I often think in the category of catechesis, mm -hmm. right? Like catechism is repeating basic truths so that you have it down um, and you can you can reproduce it without even thinking about it. Yeah. Um, Rebecca was catechized as a child. And right. so um, she would she was she was a downer for small group leaders often because she'd just spout the right answer yep. when the yep. person's trying to like start a conversation. Right. Um, but that's great to have that reflex. But what's happened is I feel like we are all being catechized on how to view nearly everything that happens right now. Yep. And it's often through a, a partisan grid of whichever side our, right. our media influences tend to draw from. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's really hard to not touch on something that's going, that is um, politicized. There's, there's very little room there. Yeah. And, um, and then even if you want to try to bring a biblical perspective to a controversial topic, if you just start with that, the biblical and biblical engagement with that controversial topic, mm -hmm. um, often there's going to be the knee jerk reaction of, oh, well, that sounds like you're taking the other side. Um, right. yeah. And so I think that that 
that points to like we do need to do however we do it something like catechesis mm-hmm. where we have to train people in the basics of the faith yeah so that and then help folks make the connections between the basic theological categories and then how that would relate to whatever the topic is and kind of break through the grids that mm-hmm. everything gets forced through yeah yeah that that's my wheelhouse for sure thinking about next seasons of ministry at, at liberty calling so we're going to begin to use language of the way of Jesus as a third way worldview and mm. a third way walk where we're, we're just tired of like feeling like we're playing operation all the time. When, sure. um, whether from the right or from, from the left, there's such a pressure to conform that, you know, if, if you're not checking every box, you're checking none of them sort of, sort of thing. And yeah, we don't want to refight culture wars, but we want to equip our people to be able to follow Jesus well and robustly in a season where everybody's boxed in by third rails. Yeah. It, they're yeah. not just third rails anymore. It's first and second rails that are, that are crazy. And how do we do that? And I, I feel the, I feel the weakness of preaching structurally in addition to what you're saying, Matt, conceptually, where our sermons are between 25 and 35 minutes on a mm, Sunday. Right. Uh, and there are so many minutes and hours being consumed in other directions. And I'm under no illusions that, you know, Christians should, I'm not saying that Christians should only listen to Christian content. Sure. Watch Veggie Tales or whatever it is. Uh, Lots of our against, podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go to the back catalog. Yep, right. So much content. <laughs> uh, but, but catechesis is always occurring in this cultural moment anyway. And how do we, how do we leverage the things of God mm-hmm. when, when I'm worried that they're being crowded out. That, yeah. That, that yeah. keeps me up at night. Yeah. And I, I realize I introduced that term catechesis, but that, you know, that's, uh, that's the common format of question and answer yes. instruction. And mm-hmm. the idea is you, you learn the answer. So you hear the question, you automatically know the answer and right. that sort of reflex process. Like you just see that everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Um, I can't, I love certain elements of social media because it lets me, I actually try to hear a lot of voices through it, Uh, but you can just see it. Uh, Something happens and immediately you can Mm -hmm. see the the auto responses that that have been trained. Right. So, yeah. And then figuring out how to leverage that because, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're not. Um, at some level, you want to release people to do life and do mm-hmm. ministry and mission in life. Yep. So you don't want them just sitting home and um, reading multi-volume systematic theologies all the time, as good as that is. Right. <laughs> Sexy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to leverage the life of the church and um, in a way, uh, make the connections so that um, our answers, our auto answers are perhaps surprising. Um and um, deep, sort of gospel saturated right. um, in contrast to um, a lot of the auto judgment mm-hmm. that you get um, yeah. when it's somebody that's on the other side and jumps on the one thing they don't like about what you said. Yeah, yeah. And there's a mind body connection related to catechesis as well. Yeah. It, it, it's forming, forming at a deep level. Well, Matt, I think this is around the time when we're going to begin to wrap up. One guitar slim pickings that I wanted to throw at you was was just to say one of my best Bruce Springsteen experiences ever was with Matt. It was the fall of 2002, the Rising Tour. Bruce tickets went on sale for one show only on that season of touring for Bruce. It was just one show in one city. So Philly usually gets a multi-night stand. Tickets went on sale 10 a.m. on Saturday morning. Emily and I had two computer stations going, logging on at the very moment. I had coached Emily to the point of her telling me, I'm not sure I want to help you with this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> how, how to like log on at the exact moment, what to do. Uh, and so we were totally shut out. And then I was disappointed, crestfallen. The Rising Tour was a big deal. Oh, yeah. For, it was huge. For Bruce Post and 9/11 for country. And, That's yeah, right. Yeah. And so I was just down in the dumps that I wasn't going to be able to see Bruce in my home city. And then I bumped into you and Rebecca at Clark Park in West Philly. And it's like, hey, we uh, we saw that Bruce tickets were going on sale. So we logged on and, 
and got Bruce tickets. And oh, we got a third ticket. There you go. Do you want to come? <laughs> I was like, I, I thought I was being punked. I didn't. <laughs> I was like, Matt and Rebecca know me and love me. They wouldn't be doing. We they, were this, so this delighted. <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty sure that even if you got in tickets, that um, somebody would be happy to join us for the, the show. Right. And even if you didn't know somebody personally, you could have marked up those tickets. A, oh, a, yeah. A good bet to, to go in. And so that was. I think it was like October 16th, 2002, and we were in the pit. So we left. It was a Sunday after Sunday evening. Yeah, I remember service. you were like tracking. I don't know what the version of Twitter was yeah, yeah. that you were tracking the, the status of how many people were waiting to get in. Right. The, there was a queue that started to line up, and I thought we just might have a chance. I was preaching that morning and said, hey, I because I'm preaching, I can't skip church to, <laughs> right. go, to, to, to go line up. Uh, it was one of the shortest sermons I ever preached so that we could just get get in the car and go down to South Philly. And we were like 10 or so feet away from Bruce. We yeah. And I, in the pit. and I feel like you had checked it right before we dr- started to drive there. Mm-hmm. And it sounded like they would totally have the first was it like 300 people. The first 300 people were at non non seated. So just they called it the pit, a group yeah. of people right at the lip of the stage. Yeah, it was awesome. So I definitely think, um, you know, this is not very COVID safe, but Bruce probably spat on all of us <laughs> that, that show. I've never showered since. So thank you so much, Matt, for being with us. Helen Wolves, let us know what you think. Postsundayblues at gmail.com. Please go ahead, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And one of the ways that we are trying to leverage Christian voices in the context of cacophony of voices everywhere is that it's not just a half an hour on Sundays anymore. We got this podcast coming at you. Matt, any final thoughts? Nope. Love the show. Frequent listener, first time guest. Awesome. Let's, <laughs> let's do it again. Love Sounds you, man. Good. So how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Happy.